You may be seated. My name's Ryan. I'm one of the pastors here at City Church. If I haven't had a chance to meet you, um, what a joy it is, um, as Pastor Kyle said and uh, Leanne said, to just be able to worship together uh, with you and um, just continue our celebration of Easter uh, from last week. Um, and I do hope that we could be a people that celebrates that every, every day and every week. Um, we are continuing in our study in the book of Hebrews, um, and uh, if you want to turn to Hebrews chapter 2, um, Leanne read from Deuteronomy 6, um, and we'll draw some lines of connection, I hope, for you to sort of see uh, those two things together um, in a few moments. Um, and before I forget, because I did forget at the 9 o'clock hour, um, I just want to encourage you, one of the other things that you can do as you make your way to the cafe after service this morning is we have uh, Hebrew scripture journals um, uh, available for purchase, and uh, these uh, little journals are just an amazing tool for your devotional life and just to continue what we do here on Sunday mornings for that to kind of spill over into the rest of your week. Um, they have the text that we uh, of Hebrews, the entire book, on one uh, side of the page, and then a space for journal to take notes, whether it's either here or just as you um, spend time in prayer and study during the week, um, you can get these too. Here's the really cool thing. If you look on the very back, uh, you can't read this, right? But that really small font says it's $5.99, but because of our partnership with Crossway, the publisher of these books, we have them available for $5, and so it's really good. And so here's the cool thing. Just imagine, should the Lord um, linger longer, uh, having the entire Bible of these journals as we continue to work our way through different books um, over the next number of years um, that you'd have, that you can look back on and see what God has done. So just want to encourage you to grab that just as a tool uh, for your Bible study. Again, we have those in the cafe. Before, however, we dive into Hebrews chapter 2, I want to, uh, we want to acknowledge and just celebrate a little bit uh, a day, a special day um, for our church, but also for really the global church. This is uh, Church Planting Sunday. Um, if you're not familiar, uh, if you haven't been around uh, in our church, if you haven't come to our City Church 101, um, which is going to, we have one of those coming up here in just a few weeks where you can kind of get to know our church, know the story of our church. But we are a church plant, and we are a church plant that is a part of a church planting network, a global church planting network called the Acts 29 Church Planting Network. And today, uh, amongst all of our brothers and sisters in the Acts 29 Church Planting Network all over the globe, we are celebrating, kind of pausing today just to um, remember and thank God for what He is doing through His church all over the globe, but also um, to just press in and say, Lord, whatever you want from us, as far as continuing to unfold your mission, uh, we want to be a part of that. Um, Acts 29 is, uh, as I said, a global community of churches, and the commitment that we make as part of being a part of uh, the Acts 29 Church Planning Network is we give financially, and so your gifts and uh, offerings to this church in some ways go to fund and support other church plants, um, both domestically and all over the world. In, 20, in 2021, last year, and I, I just want you to remember, I think you might remember that 2021 was a bit of a challenging year um, around the world, and uh, uh, and yet, in that, we welcomed 58 new churches into our church planning network around the globe. 30 of those were brand new churches. The other 28 were existing churches that said, we want to be on board with the mission of planting churches and network together in order to do that. Last year, the church planning network, Acts 29, celebrated, hear this, and be amazed and worship the Lord because of its 7,500 conversions 
were reported. 7,500 people said, I have put my faith in Christ. Yes. We will worship with brothers and sisters in eternity because churches were planted and they met Jesus in those churches. And we should never lose sight of that purpose. One of the reasons that our elder team is so passionate and we love being a part of the Acts 29 Church Planning Network is it keeps our eyes on others, away from just ourselves, but our focus to take the, the gospel of Christ around the world. There's an old African proverb that says, if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. And so we go far around the world together. Um, this morning, we have 700, there's over 700 churches around the globe in 50 countries that are a part of our church planning network. Um, and those churches worship in over 30 different languages. Um, it's just an amazing thing what we see God doing. And what we get to be a part of is inviting other churches to plant with us, to be a part of planting. We recruit pastors to plant churches. Last year on Church Planting Sunday, you might remember I introduced you to Pastor Stephen Salamo, who is reaching into the Rendil people group in the uh, nation of Kenya, and he is doing a great work there. He messages me almost every other day with, look at this picture of a Bible study that he's hosting, uh, getting an opportunity to preach the gospel somewhere, and he's reaching into a people that prior to really his work, there weren't very many, many known Christians in that people group. And so it's just an amazing thing that we get to be a part of that. Um, I have the opportunity, and our team sometimes has the opportunity to go and assess here locally. I meet with pastors that are saying, hey, I feel called to church planting or to pastoral ministry, and I have the blessing of being able to work with our network to say, hey, how can we help you, equip you, prepare you to go and do the work that you're doing? And so it's an amazing thing uh, that we get to be a part of. And we just want to celebrate um, that God is moving. You know, Ephesians says that the local church, the church is the manifold wisdom of God. That means through the church, God is making himself known to the world. So that's why we're so passionate. We're passionate about this local church, but we're passionate about the church in general because it's through the church that God is making himself known to the world. And we are a part of that. We get to be, our lives are sort of in, in intertwined with others as they do this. We're going to pray in just a moment for this calling to church planting and our role in that as well as the, the world. But we're going to pray for this morning, Spencer Jacobson, who if any of you, the Richardsons and a few other families that have been around since the very beginning of our launch will remember him as basically a student intern here in Melissa with us when we planted. This morning, Beacon Church in Bedford is launching a part of our Acts 29 Church Planting Network. Um, eight and a half years later, Spencer is still walking this calling of ministry and now is leading a new church plant. It's really amazing. Um, it's just a really cool thing that we get to be a part of. And so... We want to always be sensitive and attentive to whatever God might be calling us to do. And um, what I'll tell you is uh, the story that God is writing here through City Church is one that we all just are amazed at. And it started with a group of people, not just myself, but many people who said to the Lord in humble obedience, we will do what you've called us to do. Um, church planning is not an easy task. It's not something that comes just sort of, uh, we just do it because. It's something that takes effort, but it also takes um, a, a level of humility to say, I'm willing to go to do the hard work. 
And over the last few months, it's really been amazing. Our elder team has been praying. If you might remember a dinner that we had way back in November, and we talked about church planting being a focus for our church. And really, eight and a half years in, uh, not even eight and a half, but eight like in a quarter. We're, you know, we, we keep age like seven-year-olds do. Uh, and so, you know, eight and a little bit, a few months old, uh, it, we see God doing just amazing things in our midst. Last, or just a few weeks ago, we celebrated in this church 20 baptisms, 20 baptisms, that's the more baptisms than we'd ever been able to celebrate on a Sunday morning together, and God is moving in that, our largest baptism Sunday. Last week, um, we are so thankful for our Silver Service community group because every seat on those windows was full and there was standing room and overflow on Easter Sunday because people were here, and so we see God moving in our midst, in our community. I was just marveling, I didn't even write this down, but I was looking as we were singing this morning at this worship team. There was a time in the life of our church when if Matt was out, then maybe Kyle would sing, but we had one person that could lead us in worship beside Pastor Matt. And if I was out, there wasn't really anybody else that was ready to preach. And so we had friends. I'd bring friends in from out of town if, if we were And with amazement, every person on this stage, other than Pastor Matt, has come into the life of this church in the last eight years, and they lead us so faithfully. And we have gifts and people using their gifts beautifully. When I need to either take a break or be out of the pulpit in order to just allow us to see and hear from other men of God, Brother Ken, there's so many others that can step into this pulpit and preach the word of God, and we are all edified because of that. God is doing amazing things in our midst. We have the seedlings. It's just the seedlings, but we've put them into the ground of this sort of a pastoral training center, equipping men to lead the church and so so thankful for what God is doing there we look all around us God is orchestrating events and here's one of the things I'll tell you this is just some biblical pastoral advice you didn't know you were coming to pastoral counseling session this morning but here's what I if you're wrestling with something in your life you're trying to figure out what am I supposed to do Lord first of all go to his word then go and talk to his people and see what he's saying to his people and how he's orchestrating events outside of yourself and what we see God doing in our midst is raising up so many people of giftedness and, opportunity and ability um, and with a desire to see the kingdom of God grow and multiply here and around the globe. And we celebrate that. The, the population that we have here in this church of our covenant partners is growing. Your regular attenders growing. And so our elders, as I said, have been praying about this for many months. And he has clearly shown us that it's time for us just to respond to the Lord and just humbly say, yes, Lord, whatever that yes is. We don't know exactly what it means, but we trust that God is calling and he is moving in our midst that he's calling us to plant churches. Now, that's a little bit redundant because we don't need to be told by God to plant churches. That's in his word. He's already said that, so I don't need to tell you that again. Um, but that is something that we see and we sense. But more specifically, that the time is now for us, this local body, to engage in the work of planting a church. And so as we've looked and seen God move in our midst, one of the things that we've decided as an elder team is that we're not going to prepare more space for ourselves and add on in terms of buildings and those types of things until we are prepared to plant a church. And so we're going to send out a church plant before we make more space here. Now, I know, again, we're running out of space, but that means we got to move quick. Um, and so we, we, have, uh, we want to plant more churches and send out from this very body. Um, and we clearly see the Lord saying that we, he has prepared us and is tilling up the soil in our lives so that the ground would be ready for us to plant. And so one of the things that we have uh, landed on, and we don't know, there's more things that we don't know than we do know. 
But what we have said in response to what we see the Lord already doing is, we are going to plant a church in the fall of 2023. We don't know exactly what that will mean. We don't know who. We don't know exactly where. There's, again, a lot of questions. But we're saying, Lord, we see what you're doing in our midst, and we are going to send out from this body a group of people to start a new work in the fall of 2023. Now, that's 16 months from now, so there's some time between here and there that we've got to, that the Lord is going to have to answer a lot of questions. And so the reason that we share this with you, one, is Church Planting Sunday, so it's the appropriate time for us to kind of share this vision with you. But we really want to invite you in. We have been praying fervently, Lord, show us this. And as we've been praying, we've seen some of these pieces come into play. And the hows and the whys and those types of things. Well, now we're going to collectively be praying to this end as a church. Next Sunday evening when we gather, we're going to pray, Lord, give us wisdom and clarity about how we are to be faithful to what you have called us to do. We want to just step forward. We're being humbly obedient, saying, yes, Lord, we will do that. This week, our elder team went to a conference, and we just were able to really just blessed us to sit under the teaching of the word of many faithful pastors uh, around the country. And one of those pastors is a guy named Greg Gilbert who pastors a church in Louisville, Kentucky. And he spoke a message out of Philippians chapter 2. And one of the points, sort of the primary theme of his message was this humility that we must have towards God. And looking at Christ's humility for us, we as a people must also be humble. And he defined humility In this way, he said, humility is a lack of self-regard, regarding others as more important than yourself. And what he taught us as he expounded on that text was that self-regard dies at the foot of the cross. As we look to Jesus and we see what he did, his humility to lay down his life for us, we cannot be self-consumed. That's The way of the culture, that's so much what we live in our life is just sort of this, what about me? It's all about me. Let me get and serve mine. Let let me do it my way. But when we look at Jesus' life and we look at the cross and what he's done for us, we can't do anything but say, I'm yours, Lord. You have given us everything. You were God and you did not consider it something that you would hold on to, but willingly laid down your life for us. How can we not respond in that way saying we will lay down our life for others, whatever that might mean? And so, we don't know specifically what it will mean for every individual, but our prayer is in the fall of 23, we will be able to send out a group from this church. We're praying that 100 people, 100 of you would say, yes, I'm going to go be a part of that work. That he would bring the right leadership, the pastors, the team, all of those people, those families that would say, just like we did eight and some odd years ago, (laughs) yes, Lord, we will do that. We will step out into that labor, into that work, and we want to invite us all, and so The calling this morning is, let's begin fervently praying and saying, Lord, where is my part in this? What am I to do? How can I be a part of that? How can I live with a lack of self-regard? Not worrying so much about myself, but considering others greater than myself and just be obedient in that. And let's see what the Lord does. We're trusting because we've already seen God moving so clearly that he is going to move even more clearly as we begin praying together to that end. And so, would you join me right now in just praying for that, praying and giving thanks to God for what he has already done in our midst, the partnership that we get to have with this global network of churches, um, and praying for some of these churches that are even beginning right now. Lord Jesus, we thank you. We thank you this morning, first of all, for the cross. 
Lord, when I, as we sing, survey the wondrous cross, how can I not be in awe of your love for me, be amazed at the humility with which you considered your life less worth, less valuable than my life, and you are God. What an amazing thing to know. We serve a God who loves us so much that he would lay down his life for us and loves us so powerfully that three days later he would take up his life again, conquering what would be our greatest fear, death. And so we are freed, freed from that fear of taking care of ourselves because we know that you have already provided a way for us to have life and have it in abundance. And so we remember that right now this morning, God, as we give thanks for what you are doing around the world through our brothers and sisters within our church planning network. We thank you, first of all, for what you've done in our lives and that you've invited us into your mission. You said, go and make disciples. And in telling us that, you didn't only give us a command, but you gave us an opportunity to be a part of what you are doing, your miraculous work of raising dead men, women, boys, and girls to life. You do that through your church, and we have been able to be a part of that here, and we know that you are doing that all over the world through our Acts 29 brothers and sisters. And so we just thank you, God. We thank you that you are moving, that when the world looks so bleak and there are so many evidences of the brokenness and the hurt and the pain and suffering that a sinful world brings, we can come together this morning and we can remember your goodness to us and we can remember that you are still sovereign and you are still moving. And we thank you for that, God. We glorify your name for that. We thank you for our brother Spencer, who was with us at a young age and now is shepherding a new church in Bedford. We pray for Beacon Church this morning, God. We pray that you would bless them. You would show your favor to them. You would just reveal yourself in a powerful way as they gather and worship this morning, that they would see your hand of grace in their lives. Father, I thank you for Brother Stephen and Ronald and Kenya, both living out your calling to lay down their lives so that your gospel might be made known amongst the people who are far from you. Thank you that we see you at work there, that you are using them. We thank you for their obedience and their faithfulness. And God, now we also pray for the work that you are calling us to. Help us to look outward and consider those who do not know you this morning, who are far from you, who do not know where to gather together in worship. And we pray that you would help us as we seek your will for our lives, seek your will for this church we trust that the evidence and how you have already been moving in our midst tells us that you are clearly making a way for us. You are making our path straight as your word promises us you will do. And so we consider your ways higher than our ways. We trust them, Lord. We trust that you will lead us. But we ask that you do that clearly. We pray that you would raise up men and women who would say, Yes, to the calling to go and being a part of a church planning team. We pray that you would make it clear to us exactly where that should be, how we should do it, all of the steps that are necessary, Lord. There's so many things and details. We can get consumed by looking at those, but help us just now, Lord, to just say, yes, Lord, we will be obedient. We will trust that you will open the doors and help us to step through them whenever and however you see fit to move. We pray that you would just allow us to be a small part 
of your kingdom-building effort here in North Texas, and that many would come to know you, that we could celebrate your gospel mission at work in our lives um, for years to come. We pray all these things in the blessed, in the mighty name of Christ. Amen. So as we consider this high calling on our lives, we consider what Christ has done for us on the cross and strive to put self-regard to death. Let us look at Hebrews chapter 2, where we're giving a challenge, a reminder of something that we must be very cautious about in our lives. If you weren't with us last week, we began this teaching series in Hebrews chapter 1, Easter Sunday, and our primary focus was on chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. We'll be in 2, 1 through 4 this morning. But in that first opening lines of the book to Hebrews, God elevates who Jesus is. You might remember if you were with us, I said my prayer for us on Easter Sunday morning is the same prayer that I have for us this morning, that Jesus would be magnified in our hearts, he would be big in our lives, and Jesus is big, he is real, he's alive, and the author of Hebrews is elevating Christ to his people as they read this letter, as he opens it up. Uh, just a little bit of backstory again, in case you missed it. This letter was written to a group of Christians, more than likely a small church plant in the city of Rome. They were a Jewish group of believers, people who had converted from Judaism and were now, because of some of the persecution and the challenges that they were facing, were slipping back in. And in some ways, they were forgetting the message of the gospel. They were forgetting who Jesus was, what he had done for them. And so, the author of Hebrews, we don't know exactly who it is. There's some theories about that, but we don't know exactly who it is. And that he, he writes this letter to them to remind them of who Jesus is. He says, long ago in verse 1 of chapter 1, long ago at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. And then he elevates this beautiful picture of who Jesus is. Essentially, he's saying, hey, brothers and sisters, I know you know the prophets of old, those prophets that spoke to our forefathers. He then gets to, after this text, he starts to contrast Jesus with angels. I know you know the word that the angels brought to us through the prophets. Essentially, they brought us the law. Let me tell you who's over all of those people, who's bigger than the prophets. He's more powerful than the angels. He owns everything on everything. That's Jesus. I want you to remember his message. I want you to remember his power, his glory, who he is, and in all of that, what he has done for us. And so he's making this, again, through the rest of chapter 1, making this contrast between Jesus and the angels who spoke the law to the prophets so they could write it down, who delivered that word to them. And then he pauses in these first four verses of chapter 2, and he kind of gives a little bit of an aside. He's going to come back to the angels. We're going to get back to angels again in verses 5 and following. But in these first four verses, he has this little aside, and it's a warning. It's a challenge to the church. He says in verse 1, Therefore, again, remember, anytime you see a therefore, it's based upon what was already said. Because I have told you how big Jesus is, because I have told you the power that Jesus holds, this is what you must do. We must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. We have to pay much closer attention, lest we drift away. My sons, they know that there are some rules that go along with living in our home. Not a lot, just a few. 
And most of the time, those rules are just sort of understood. We don't have to really talk about those rules. They're just kind of there. They, they know them. My boys are old enough. They've sort of been immersed in them uh, long enough. But there are, of course, those times when I, I give that explicit instruction. You know, I, your mom is coming home today. I need the room clean. It's going to just be better for all of us. <laughs> explicit, clear instructions. And in Hebrews chapter 2, the author, he's pausing on this sort of superiority of the son. He's saying, hey, I know you've heard from the angels, and I know you listen to the angels and the prophets, and we understand that. Here's something more. We've heard from his son. We've heard from Jesus himself. We cannot neglect this message. Do not let yourself drift away. He is the message of Christ, much more important much more clear to us than the message that you've heard before. And so he's reminding them. And so he says, we have to pay much closer attention to what we heard. And here is the warning. This is the why we have to pay much closer attention to what we have heard. Lest we drift away. Because we're going to drift away. Now, notice he doesn't say that it's possible that you might drift away. That... I'm worried that I sense you could drift away. No, he's saying, if we don't pay very close attention to what Jesus has said to us, we will drift. This is not a drifting that's based on something that we do intentionally. This isn't intentionally saying like my son sometimes do. Well, I don't really care. They're good boys. Don't pick on them. No, he's saying, don't forsake this message. Because if you do, you, in a sense, will drift away. Drifting is not something you do on purpose. Some of you have been on boats before. If you've ever been on a boat and you go out into the lake or the ocean even more so and you don't drop the anchor and you turn the motor off or you drop the sail, you're just going to start drifting and you're going to go wherever the currents take you. The, the word drifting there is a nautical word. He actually is using a language that sort of describes being in a river or being in the ocean that you're just going to drift. If you haven't been on a boat, I grew up down south Texas on, in the ocean. We went to the beach almost all the time, and I'd swim out as far as I could until mom kind of got a little squirmy on me. And so I'd go out just far enough, and I'd see her, and she was right there in front of me. And I'd start kind of messing around. Lo and behold, 30 minutes later, mom's way over here. And she's real worried. And I'm like, oh, I got to get, I just drifted. I didn't, I didn't say, oh, I'm going to go away. I'm going to try to find, I didn't, I didn't swim at all. I just drifted away. That's an unintentional, not something that we do on purpose. Drifting is something that happens if we do not pay much closer attention. This is why in verse 3 he says, as he describes what might happen as we drift. But he comes around to verse 3, and this is the source of that drifting. How shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? And so by talking about this drifting, he then connects drifting to neglect. The reason that we drift from the Lord, the reason that we drift away from remembering our, uh, what he has done is because we neglect his salvation. Sometimes you may have been even said this to yourself. I've, I've had this in my own life, so do not receive this or hear this in any sort of judgment or condemnation. Lord, I just, I don't know where you're at. I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't 
I don't, I don't feel a closeness to you. I don't feel like your, your presence is with me. I don't, I don't sense like a, a, an attentiveness to know, you know how I am to live and where I'm supposed to go and all of those sorts of things. Here's what I can promise you. God did not move. I am the one who moved. And I may not have very often, most of the time, I haven't moved on purpose. I didn't say, nah, I really don't need to hear from God. Now, some of us do that. We need to hear that word. That's a corrective word. Some of us just say, I don't want to hear from God. But most of the time, I think, this is a testimony in my life, it's because I neglect careful attention to what Christ has said and done. I neglect such a great salvation. And just in case you're unclear about that, I want you to hear it again, what we have already sung through song many times. Jesus is our great salvation. God would be just, holy, and right to condemn us in our sinfulness. The life that I have led, God would be right to say, you have no part of me, away from me, condemnation and separation from God because of the sinfulness of my own heart. And the Bible says that there's not one of us who could claim otherwise. There's no one that could say, well, I kind of got this one figured out, Lord. No, we are all equal in that. The the beauty of the diversity of the church, by the way, when we look at one another, we see there's no other reason that we're all here together other than Jesus Christ. That's why we're all together, because we're equal in our understanding that without Christ, God would rightly condemn us. But, as Ephesians says, but God, being rich in mercy, he sent his own son What we celebrated last Good Friday in his son, Jesus, the God-man, the one who humbled himself, Philippians 2, to the point of death, even death on a cross, he did that to make atonement, to pay the rightful, just penalty of sin on our behalf. We said on Good Friday, he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might be declared the righteousness of God, 2 Corinthians 5.21. He made Jesus sin. He knew he had not sinned, but he, he made him to be sin so that we might be declared the righteousness of God. That is the great salvation. And as Jesus walked out of the grave that first Easter Sunday morning, as we celebrated last week, he welcomed every single one of us into his eternal life right now. And so when we put our faith in that Jesus, when we put our faith in his finished work on the cross and his victorious resurrection, we step into living With eternal life, no fear of death, no condemnation, nothing can separate us from the love of God. This is the great salvation that we have. And we have that because of Jesus. How can we neglect that? But here is the reality. This church, and we are no different than this church, face the reality that when hard things come our way, when challenges come, When my mom dies way too early, Lord, I thought you were going to protect me from that. I'm not so sure about you. What are you doing to me? I have to remember the great salvation that I have in him because I'm tempted to forget. I'm tempted to wallow in my sorrows and my pain and my suffering. And that's a natural overflow of our flesh. We have to remember, and it says we have to be intentional because drifting is what just happens when life comes our way. We have to be intentional. So, he gives us, right there, two solutions. I've already in some ways alluded to them. That we, What we can do to keep ourselves from drifting away, from neglecting the great salvation that we have in Christ. The first is, is that we pay close attention. It says, therefore, we must pay much 
closer attention to what we have heard. It sounds like there that they actually were playing somewhat close attention. They were a little bit attentive to their salvation and what Christ had done for them, but they needed to pay much closer attention to that. We would be wise to pay much closer attention. This is where, rather as drifting is a passive verb, is something that just happens to us, if we aren't attentive to it, this idea of paying much closer attention is an active verb. It's something that we do. We do this. There's very clear lines. I've already drawn this line for us, and I hope in this church you've heard this enough, but for our guests, just in case this is your first time, notice that there was nothing about myself or about you that I said when I told you the good news of who Jesus is and what he has done. All about him. He is the one who has saved us. It is his salvation that he has given to us. But if we're, not, if we're going to remember that salvation that we already have, now we better get active. We better start living in such a way that we remember it, that we focus our attention on it. We have to be engaged in that. This is why we read Deuteronomy chapter 6. So the, this church, these Jewish believers would have remembered Deuteronomy 6, the great commandment of God, to remember him always and to put his word, essentially immerse yourself all of your life surrounded by the word of God, immersed in it. Constantly reminding you of who God is and what he has done. This is what we also must do. We must remember and tell ourselves over and over and over again. The first way we do that is we study this book. We read this book. This book is the source of our life. We find out who God is and who we are through this book, not through all the things that the world has to say. This is our focus and again, this is not connected to our salvation, and I don't want you to hear this in any sense of a condemnation, but too many of us allow this book to sit on our nightstands and collect dust. It sits on the front of our desk so that we might think people think we're Christians, or the app is on the fourth screen over before we get to our Bible. We need to remember this is where we go to know God. This is where we go to remember who we are, and we have to just keep ourselves attentive to his word. The other part of that is that we keep ourselves attentive to the, his word through his people. We gather with one another. We're going to get there. The author of Hebrews is going to get there in chapter 10. But this paying much closer attention, one of the things that it starts with is God has gifted us with one another. It's an amazing thing that we have, I, that I have you. I've, I've said this many times. Some of you think, well, you're here because you get paid to be here. Nope, not at all. I'm here because I need to be here. I need to be reminded of the great salvation that I have in Christ. And I am reminded of that through his word, but through all of you. As I hear the testimonies of your stories in your lives and what God has done and is doing in your life, it reminds me that God is still at work and we have this gift of one another. And so we need to take seriously this gift that he has given to us. Now, potentially, you hear these two things of get your face in the book, surround yourself with God's people, and that sounds, well, wow, that's pastor's kind of beating us up a little bit. Just know, friend, brother and sister, God does not give us these instructions as some way to be oppressive to us. Why would we think when we just heard the message of his great salvation that Christ did that in total humility and out of gracious love for us, why would we think that the instructions that he gives us to remember that would now be in some way oppressive? It's because we're believing a lie. It's not, there's no, nothing oppressive in that. God is saying, I know you better than you know yourself. 
I love you more than you could ever possibly know how much I love you. And out of my great love for you, I have revealed myself to you through my word and through my people. And I want you to just be in that. I want you to remember that because I know on Monday at 1047 a.m., there's going to be something that is going to cause you to forget who I am. You need one another. You need me. You need my word. And you receive that through all the many ways that he gives it to us. This is also why we have a thing in this church called fight clubs. Now, some of you have no idea. When I say the word fight clubs, that just sounds like a weird movie back in the day. It's much more than that. Those are groups of people that gather together centered around God's word, that they intentionally say, I commit to gathering with some brothers or with some sisters so that we can open up God's word and study it together. If you're not in a fight club, one of the reasons that our elders will be down front is for you to come forward and say, he talked to me about fight clubs. He said that. I didn't know what he meant. I didn't know if he wanted me to go watch a Brad Pitt movie or he wants me to do something else. So I'm here to help. We're here to help you to connect those dots and provide and, and kind of bridge some of those relationships so you can get engaged in relationships with other people where you study God's word beyond just this Sunday morning. These, this is what it means to pay close attention. Pay close attention. My youngest is extremely gifted. He can tell you just about anything there is to tell you about the NBA. He can give you stats. He can write articles. He's extremely gifted. And I love, we, we spend a lot of time around the sport of basketball. He can do that because he pays close attention. He's aware. He's attentive to what's going on. How much, as we go throughout our days, does God's word, do his truths, do who we are in Christ, do those things filter into our minds and direct and instruct and guide us in the decisions we make, in the relationships that we have, in the conversations, in all the ways that we live our lives. Pay close attention, it says. Otherwise, you are going to drift. And you're going to look up and you're going to say, I used to see Jesus right here. Now he's way over there and I don't know. He didn't move. He's been the same. Yesterday, today, and forever. And in his graciousness, in his love for you, he's saying, come back, swim up to shore, and get in this book. Get in the community with my people. I've given you this as a gift. Pay close attention. The second thing that we do so that we don't drift, on top of paying close attention, is that we trust the message to be reliable. Notice in verse 2, he says, For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable... He's talking about the law. The law was given, and then it says every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution. So the law was given by the angels, and in accordance with the law, every transgression or sin against the law, there was retribution. God you know, dealt with that, and so we can see how God deals with things and that he's faithful, and he, 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 he's obedient, or he follows his own word. Well, how shall we escape? Should we neglect such a great salvation? We've heard it from the angels. Now we've heard this word of salvation from Jesus himself. We trust that the word is reliable. And in this, we see three reasons why the word is reliable. First, as I already said, the law was reliable. What God has spoken proved to be true. And God doesn't lie and he doesn't change. And so in the same way that we can look to our Old Testament, we just finished the book of Joshua. Every promise of God made in the book of Joshua, do you know we studied this together? Do you know that every single one of them was fulfilled? 
Do you know that every promise of God about who Jesus is and what he would do from Genesis all the way through to the end of the Old Testament was fulfilled, has been fulfilled, or will be fulfilled? Those promises of God are true and they are reliable. And if the angel spoke to the, to the prophets and delivered that word to them, how much more reliable is the very word of God himself through Christ? It's a reliable message. It's reliable, he says, because in the middle of verse 3, it was declared at first by the Lord and then attested to us by those who heard. Remember, this little church plant in Rome that's kind of being oppressed and dealing with this, they had not been a people who had seen Jesus personally. And so they're hearing, in some ways, they would say this is secondhand. But the people who told us of this great salvation that we've had, it proved to be true in their life. And because it proved to be true in their life, and we know that they testified that that message that they heard was from the Lord himself, then we can also trust that the message that we are hearing now is also reliable. We don't have to slip back in these people into Judaism and obedience to the law. We don't have to slip back into trying to find our hope or our salvation in something apart from Christ. We can trust that his word is reliable. Once again, this is why we have one another. Have you ever had a circumstance... Perhaps you decide, hey, I'm going to go visit a restaurant, go grab a meal. What do we do now? We pull up Yelp. We pull up Yelp and we trust total strangers to tell us if this food is good or bad. <laughs> if a total stranger that we have no idea on earth who it is says it's a four and a half star restaurant, they're getting my money. <laughs> I'm showing up. If a total stranger says that it's a two star place, nah, we're going to pass. Here we have the word of God testified to us by other believers. We'll trust someone else who says, go eat here. But with our very lives, when I tell you that Jesus loves you unconditionally, that his mercy is more than your sin, all those things, you sit with skepticism. I'm not sure if that could be true. Well, I'm just telling you what's true of my life. And Matt's telling you what's true of his life. Don's telling me what's true of his life. Paul's telling me what's true of his life. Leanne's telling me what's true in her life. Shelly's telling me what's true in her life. Amy's telling me what's true in her life. How many testimonies of other believers do we have to hear to believe that the word, the testimony of who Christ is and what he has done for us is true? It is the truth, and it's been testified not only by God himself through his word, but by so many people. Again, the blessing of the church, we have one another that when we face those trials, is it possible that God is, what he says about this situation is true? And we lean over to our brother or our sister, we say, I'm wrestling with this. I just don't know if this is, if God's word could be true in this situation. And that friend, that loved one says, yes, it is true. Let me tell you what he did in my life, how he worked in this situation in my life. This is why vulnerability with one another, community together is so vital. This is why, again, from the very beginning, talking about church planting, one of the very first things that I ever said on a stage in front of people of this church, I said, it's okay to not be okay. We don't come in here with our masks on looking all Christian. We are Christians. We should look Christian, but that's not, we don't put it on. It's not a fake thing. We're real. I'm, I got struggles. Again, as soon as I get done here, there's something's going to hit my life that's going to come face to face. It's going to kind of put me, Lord, is this true? Is that salvation that I have in you real? And I'm going to need Brother Kent to come alongside me and say, hey, 
Don't lose hope. Don't lose sight. This is what's true. That's how we, the gift of the church. So we trust the message is reliable. The law was reliable. What God said was reliable. And ultimately, here's the final step, is that it was sealed by the Holy Spirit. Verse 4, while God also bore witness by signs and wonders, he did many miracles amongst his people. And by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will, the Holy Spirit seals this is true on our hearts. So, friends, if we aren't to drift away from the Lord, if we're to find ourselves constantly with him at center, knowing who he has called us to be and the life that he has called us to live, we have to pay close attention and trust the reliability of his word. As we close our time this morning, our worship team is going to lead us in a song where we remember the mercy of Christ, we remember the cross, and I just want to encourage you, perhaps you need to really ask God, is what he said true? Is that word that he declared the true word? Don't just trust my words, look to what he just said. I just read it for you, Hebrews chapter 2, 1 through 4. Go to his word and, and analyze it, test it. I testify that it's true. And perhaps if you are struggling or before this morning, you've struggled to believe how great a salvation you have in Jesus. As we sing, or this song is even perhaps sung over you, of the mercy of Christ, what he did for you, just ask the Lord to speak. Holy Spirit, just as we did in verse 4, Holy Spirit, come, seal, and tell me what is true. And then, when you hear the Holy Spirit of God speaking to your soul, perhaps not audibly, but however he is speaking, trust that it is true. He doesn't speak frivolously, friends. He doesn't waste his words. Those words to us are the true words of God. And so perhaps you just would yield your life and you would believe today that that salvation, that great salvation that so many of us would tell you we have is real. Or perhaps you need to ask him, Lord, I, I know I've drifted away. Help me to get my face back in your book. Help me to find some community where I can surround myself with others who would spur me on in the faith, who would draw me along, encourage me in that. That's what we're here for. At the end of our service, again, I'll be down front. Our elders will be down front. Leanne will be down front. If we'd, love to, we'd love to talk with you about that. Maybe this, this morning you have a question after this. You're like, I don't know. I need, I need some clarity about this, this message. Come down front. We'd, not, we'd love nothing more. We promise we will not bite, harass, do anything. We, we want to encourage you. We want to pray with you. We want to help you find a fight club, help you connect with our church. In whatever way we can, we want to bless and strengthen you so that we could all, again, be a people who say, we're not drifting. We're moving forward. We're moving forward in whatever God has called us to do, whether that's church planting, whether that's going to our neighbor and showing the love of Christ to them, whether it's going around the world and doing that. Whatever it is, we just put our yes on the That all starts with us believing with hope and with gratitude in the great salvation that we have through Christ. So Holy Spirit, would you move now as only you can? Would you seal what is true in our hearts? Would you spur us on in our faith? Would you bring those who are far from you this morning into the great hope of your salvation so that they might live and have life in abundance? We pray these things in your mighty name. Amen. Taste and see that the Lord is
Thanks for listening to the preaching of God's Word at City Church Melissa. We meet Sunday mornings at 9 and 1045 a.m. at 2300 Vineyard Hill Lane, and we hope to see you there soon. City Church Melissa, for the glory of God and the good of the city.